Hey everybody, welcome back to the Grey Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics in chronological order. We are in the middle of our Hidden Years content, uh, and I am so excited to welcome Storm to the podcast today for the first time, first of all. And I'm even more excited to welcome Stephanie Williams to the show, as well as my returning friend Steve Fox, and Omar Homeland is joining us as well. So I'm so happy to have all of you here. Uh, this is a big moment for me. I'm always really uh, flummoxed to meet people that I've been a fan of for a long time, so I'm uh, I'm really happy to have Stephanie here. Uh, let me have you each introduce yourselves. Uh, let, have you use your name, your gender pronouns, where people might know you from, uh, and uh, the the question based on today, which is very simple because we've got storm and there's a big old storm. Uh, tell me about a big storm that you've been in before. Uh, let's go in the order of uh, Stephanie, Steve, and then Omar. All right. Um, my name is Stephanie Williams. Hershey, like the candy. Um, <laughs> What was the other? I forgot that quick. Where do, uh, where do people know you from? from? Um, you probably know me now from a few comic things, Nubia and the Amazons. But prior to that, you might have known me from uh, some of my X-Men memes, uh, which went would go viral. I think Taxman and also uh, the Thanksgiving one. That might be where you know me from. Uh, and also some of my edits. Um, now, the worst storm I've been in, we were coming from Chuck E. Cheese from a uh, uh, a cousin's birthday party and there was a tornado um yeah uh living in illinois uh and yeah like there was a tornado that happened to touch down not too far away and my dad just continues to drive so clearly we made it but that was the most um insane thing um apparently it was like a town over but i'm like why are we still driving <laughs> uh fantastic uh and then let's go to steve next Hi, uh, my name is Steve Fox. Pronouns are he, him. <clears throat> and folks may know me from books like X-Men 92, House of 92, um, All Eight Eyes, which is an original horror series. Um, I edit stuff like Department of Truth. And then I have the upcoming uh, Dark X-Men series, as well as a story in Marvel Pride, which Steph also has. Um, different oh, stories, same book. Yeah, <laughs> just that little thing you forgot. Um, and the worst storm, you know, it's funny, I was sitting here at racking my brain and i could not think of it but i lived in new york during sandy i don't know why i <laughs> forgot that but um i lived at that time on uh, 14th and first avenue and we went out to help collect my friend who lived on like the ninth floor of her building and the whole you know we had no power for days the the garage in my structure was completely flooded so there were cars that were like submerged up to the top of there their roofs. Uh, so that was apparently, you know, so intense that I completely forgot about it. <laughs> I blocked it in my brain. I, uh, I'm a therapist in my day job. I'm telling people all oh. the time, when we go through really intense things and then our life moves on, we don't even remember those intense things often. <laughs> it's, a, it's a crazy <laughs> thing about humans. Uh, and then over to Omar next. Oh, my name is uh, Omar Holman. Uh, pronouns are he, him. Uh, you might know me from in the beginning, in the first half, when I was way younger, you might know me from slam poetry. Now, in my later twilight years, you might know me from doing Black Nerd Problems, uh, doing editorials with Black Nerd Problems on their social media and the Black Nerd Problems uh, book that we have. Uh, and also, uh, yeah, that's about it. And the worst storm I've been in, I was in New Jersey for Sandy, but since you claimed that one already, I will go with when I was driving with my wife to see my friend in Georgia. Uh, we were on we were on the highway. Uh, we were, I forgot what the, what highway was, but it, it was 
It was, yeah, listen, you know, you kind of keep on that brave face, but it was scary. I found a big truck to go behind. I was like, I'm going to just get behind Optimus Prime here. Let that be like the, my big my big uh, blocker here. But that it was just rain on both sides, and it was pitch black. And it, it was like, mm, if we go out like this, I'm like, it's fair enough. It was very fair enough, but made it out. Uh, if you are in your twilight years, my friend, you're doing very well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. You know me from this show. I'm also a former Marvel Comics handbook writer, as well as an author and a documentarian. I have had a lot of storms in my life. Uh, I'm going to summarize this quickly. And this is actually a really fun preface for our conversation about Storm later, the character. I grew up in the Missouri Ozarks, and I have like vivid memories. We had this big front porch with this like huge sky that just went on forever. And Missouri has this thing in that area where like the thunderstorms would just like come slowly, like rolling in over the horizon. And you'd see like lightning and they'd get, get it like slowly get closer and closer and the wind would pick up. It was like this big dramatic thing, like watching the floodwaters roll in from the sky almost. Uh, and then I spent my, uh, my early adulthood in uh, Southern Idaho of all places where there's just these massive snowstorms and you'd drive in like the scariest conditions always. It just get, like you just get dumped on like feet and feet of snow. So whenever I think about storm, I always try to think about like weather patterns and like what we've seen and what the earth is capable of producing. And it's always just this majestic thing. Uh, but we'll get to storm in a little while. I'm uh, I'm so excited. We've been in the 60s for so long on my show. I'm so excited to be introducing some of the contemporary <laughs> characters as we are moving forward. We just did a Wolverine episode. Uh, now we get to do uh, storm, which I'm very excited about. Um, I want to begin with Stephanie. I have been a fan of yours for a long time. I'm so inspired by your work on Nubia and everything you're doing at Marvel is super exciting, uh, as well as the stuff you're doing on your website. Your your what if though your Parenthood activate like there's a lot of stuff on your list that I've been watching. Uh, so thank you to Mr. Steve Fox for introducing us. I was uh, I was like, yes, please. <laughs> uh, I would love to start with your journey a little bit. Uh, if you tell us a little bit about your origin story and kind of how you uh, turned that into a professional career, I would love to hear your story. Uh, so I try to make this as short as possible, but um, writing was not my uh, first career. Uh, I was a research scientist. I was working um, as an electron microscopist um, at a local hospital. I don't know and, what that is. <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't know what it was either until like I got hired for it. But if you've ever gone in for, um, I don't know, if you get a biopsy or something, if you are dealing with, uh, let's say, lupus or uh, different forms of cancer um, and of hypertension, diabetes, um, a lot of the stuff that we would see uh, were from uh, renal, so like your kidney. So like renal biopsy, um, pick those up from uh, somewhere in the hospital and bring them back, process them, and basically help uh, the pathologist uh, with their diagnosis. Uh, I, so I took photos, which I never thought of myself as a photographer, but part of my job involved um, taking photos of these disease processes um, while looking at different forms of tissue. So muscle, brain was included, but we got a brain and unfortunately meant that it was an autopsy. So very fun work. Um, maybe not so much. <laughs> but, um, and then um, I also did some other uh, research um, dealing with Alzheimer's, all types of stuff. Uh, but once I had my son, um, thanks to good old postpartum depression, um, I was like in a tailspin. <laughs> you know, I was trying to figure out I don't know, like how to get myself out of that. But like, if you have ever experienced postpartum depression, there is no way to get yourself out of it. It just is. Um, 
I reached out to um, a romance author that I really like. I looked up to her, read all her stuff. So if I'm not reading comics, I'm reading romance novels. And she wrote back um, and I told her basically like, you know, I, I think I want to like tap into my first love, which is writing. Like I, you've inspired me to like kind of do that. Um, you have these st amazing stories that feature um, Black women as the protagonists, um, just doing just regular everyday stuff, falling in love and being the heroes of their stories. Um, and that's something that I don't, you know, see in comics, but not so much with Black women. Um, you have to pick and you got to do a little digging to find that. So um, she wrote back and she was like, I, I, I think you can you can do it. So um, <laughs> my husband got me a um, like, a, uh, I think a MacBook or something like that. And I started blogging and uh, talking about being a mother and the things that I was experiencing and using either comic book uh, stuff as an, um, an analogy or sci-fi. I love Alien, um, not just because Ripley is a mother, but like she is a mother. Um, and also like the Alien Queen. So like all these things and using it to talk about um, just parenthood in general. And from there, podcasting happened. Um, I did a podcast called Misty Nice Uninformed Afro where we did kind of like this academic approach to talking about Black superheroines because again, they have their story at the big two to be more specific. Um, they have their stories, but you've got to really be an archaeologist to cobble together story arcs and get an idea of who these women are. So we did that. Um, that podcast dissolved. I started writing for sci-fi fangirls. Um, and of course, I'm like doing these stupid memes. Well, not stupid. They're memes that I found funny um, involving like uh, still shots and stuff from the X-Men animated series, Spider-Man, all of those things. Um, and just kind of like my take and how I, um, I don't know, related to these characters or how I saw them. Um, and then from there, like an audience grew. And next thing I knew, I had like 20... 20,000 Twitter followers. I'm like, why are you all here? Um, so <laughs> from that and just different commentary that I would do. Um, and then one day, um, well, not one day, I've been thinking about that for a while. I've been thinking about it for a while. But I was like, I really want to write comics. Um, I enjoy talking about them, but if I'm going to get the stories that I actually want to see, then I need to make them. Um, so all I could afford was one page uh, from, from an artist. I could pay for that because, you know, Comics are expensive. Um, I wanted to make sure that I was paying um, artists their time and their worth. Um, so I could only afford one. So I had started Parenthood Activate, and then uh, but what if though happened, and then Living uh, Living Heroes, which was the one that um, I didn't think anything would happen. It was super niche. It was Living Single meets again like just Black women um, and Marvel. And I'm like, who who's reading this? Um, I knew there would be some folks reading it, but not enough to fund that Kickstarter in 26 hours, which, all right. So that was pretty cool. That's um, amazing. I thought, yeah, I wow. thought Marvel would send me a cease and desist. They did not. Um, they actually reached out. And um, funny enough, it wasn't really necessarily Living Heroes. It was an article that I wrote on uh, the best uh, Marvel butts from the 90s. Um, so <laughs> a lot of Spider-Man, a lot of the uh, Incredible Hulk, um, a lot of Beasts. I think Thor even made the cut. Um, so it's just focusing on Marvel. I think Vision made the cut too. Um, titanium booty or vibranium booty, I should say. Um, so he made the cut. And um, yeah, uh, Marvel Voices Legacy came out. I wrote a story with Monica Rambeau and her mom because like I'm big on superheroes and their moms. 
and or just parents in general, if they're still alive. And um, next thing I know, I'm talking to the editor at DC about writing some Amazons. I had no idea that I would be writing Nubia. In fact, I spent an hour talking to Vita Ayala about a story that I wrote for Marvel, uh, for uh, Wonder Woman Black and Gold. And Vita was like, yeah, that's that's fine. Like, I know that you're Gucci on that. But what do you want to do with Nubia? I'm like, what the hell do you mean? What do I want to do with Nubia? Like, what are you talking about? Um, and the next thing I knew, Nubia and the Amazons happened. And Vita was like, um, they're a name. Um, but I'm so appreciative of them because it was really like a, a bike riding experience. Vita was like, you know, holding the bike a little bit. And then by like the second or third issue was like, okay, well, you know, ride down the street if you can. And I'm like, looking back, I'm like, are you mm-hmm. sure? So um, yeah. And now I'm talking to you. So I've written <laughs> a lot of stuff <laughs> since then. Um, in fact, I didn't know how much stuff I had written until a Popverse article came out and like the person listed, uh, Christine, who interviewed me, listed like 30 something titles. And I'm like, or, or issues, I should say. I'm like, what do you, like, what the hell do you mean I've written 30 something? Like, oh, well, that does explain the lack of sleep. So, uh, so yeah. So, hmm. I'm here. <laughs> uh, it is it is really fun hearing uh, writers' stories. Now, have you always been an X Men fan? Oh yeah, X Men down. So um, <laughs> there is a laundry mat that we used to go to whenever our um, laundry, our washer and dryer was acting up, and they had Ninja Turtles in time, and they had um, Marvel Wolf versus Capcom or Marvel. It had to have been that one. Whatever one storm is saying, typhoon the entire time, because that is like etched <laughs> in my brain. That is the one that they had. Um, so my brothers and I, uh, we would play that where we were like waiting and everything. And then from there, the X-Men animated series, I started paying attention to that. And then finally um, the comics. But funny enough, it wasn't actually an X-Men comic that got me into comics. It was um it was um i will get into my beef with charles xavier um it was the um it was avengers i think it was like 361 or something like that but it's that point in time where black knight cersei and crystal are having like this weird love triangle and like visions like up looking from the window at them kissing he was like i want to love no love too and I'm like you did know love you and wanda's situation just got messed up but like you knew love but anyway that's what made me get into comics and i was like oh this is very soap opery like this is giving me young and the restless bold the the bold and the beautiful and all of those um <laughs> soap operas that i watched at my grandmother so i recently X-Men, did I recently did an interview on the Avenging Hour where I uh, I compared Black Knight, or I called Black Knight the havoc of the Avengers, which is uh, a fair comparison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ain't really wrong, but, uh, but yes. And as far as my beef with Charles Xavier, um, that has always been a thing. Because like even watching those episodes back then, I was like, man, this bald head guy is like really mean. He's so mean. <laughs> <laughs> like why is he like he he's throwing him in the danger room um i think his captive hearts is the name of the issue i mean of the episode uh whatever one it starts off where they are uh in the danger room <laughs> gene accidentally sends a flying disc off and explodes um it's like charles is pissed he's like yelling at them uh cyclops is up there talking i'm like you're the leader like why are you not down there with them um Storm is going through her situation with claustrophobia. It is a mess. But um, Charles is just, 
what a terrible boss. <laughs> uh, Omar, I would better. Omar, I would love to hear a little bit of your uh, your story as well, if you're willing to share. This is your first time on the show. Oh, oh man, I'm, <laughs> I'm not prepared for this. Um, we, uh, I was doing, um, I come from the world of uh, performance poetry. So I was doing that through like college and then out of, uh, out of college a bit. And then, uh, in 2014, we tried, there was a thing called like the national poetry slam where every city uh, had like uh, poets that would compete. They sent a team and then, uh, those teams would battle to become number one. And, uh, the team I was on at the time had never, the last time they touched like final stage where like the final four get, um, get selected where you find out who wins and whatnot. Uh, the last time it was been like 10 or 12 years since they won. Uh, I've been on there before, but I was like, I want this team to get back on there. That was like my main goal. And then 2014, we did that. And I was like, oh, we got number two. Like, okay. Then it was like, oh, damn, what do I do with my life now? And luckily enough, uh, William Evans, my friend, we had put together a website where it's like, hey, we could probably talk about these things. And um, we're seeing in the media that like, don't get discussed. Like there was a scene in Mad Men where this, um, a co-worker was sleeping, uh, staying over with the one worker and she was black. The co-worker was, uh, the co-worker was black and the woman was white. And there's a scene where she leaves her wallet, uh, the, uh, the woman whose house she was staying and she leaves her wallet on the table and she looks back and there's that awkward moment of, if I take this, it feels like I'm implying I don't trust you. But if I don't, it feels like I'm just trying to save face. And uh, he was listening to a podcast and they didn't, they didn't talk about that thing. He's like, oh, I want to talk about that thing. And he was like, well, what if we were the people to talk about these moments that get looked over? I'm like, oh, okay. And that started in 2014. And then uh, in 2020, I got offered to maybe write a book about those things as well. And he's like, oh, you think anyone might be interested in this? And so Simon Schuster was like, we think so. I'm like, oh, okay. And then we, uh, we wrote the book on it. And uh, it's been doing now. I've been, I had been forced to do uh videos with tiktoks and whatnot by my wife and my friends so i was like to talk about these comic books because i talk about them so much so still doing like uh, editorials and whatnot and then the book and then also did a poetry book as well uh so yeah that's 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 what got me uh here i'm so honored to be able to like collaborate with all these creative professionals it's just like the highlight of my week every time i get to <laughs> uh steve how did you and stephanie first become acquainted i mean i think just on twitter actually uh yeah, Stephanie, I think, said something complimentary about X-Men 92. And then I think that was right before Nubia was coming out. And I hit you up for a PDF or you sent me one. And um, I loved it. And we just stayed in. I mean, I thought she was really funny and <laughs> cool. And we bonded over similar interests and just stayed in casual contact. And we've since gone to work on something that's not announced yet. But um yeah, I mean, it was just kind of a natural internet friendship, I guess. And I also know Vita. I love Vita. Um, and I've known them for a while. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's no grand story. We just kind of tweeted at each other no, and I, became friends and collaborators. <laughs> <laughs> I loved um, that first. I guess I had an opportunity to read um, first issue of X-Men 92. Uh, for I think a, a Marvel podcast thing, and I was like, man, it's like really good. Who's the Steve Fox? <laughs> <laughs> you so, were so uh, nice about it, and I think you, yeah. I think you read it early, or you had to. Have mm -hmm, read it I did, yeah, because you were one of the first people to say something about it, and that was kind of my first real big release. So it was, uh, you know, it meant a lot to hear kind words from someone I, I knew of and respected. 
It's fun to hear both of you kind of talk about your beginnings, which were not that long ago, but both of you have pretty impressive resumes now. And both of you are doing ongoing work consistently with the big characters now. Uh, what is the energy like at the current X office? Uh, and that's a question for both Steve and Stephanie. I know there's a lot happening and I'm not asking for spoilers, but uh, what I know this team is kind of like ever shifting and there's always like new people coming in and there's just a lot of uh, creative flow going on. How uh, What's the energy like right now? I mean, it, it, it's like a funeral because Fall of X is coming up and, and we're going to break some hearts. Uh, no, it's it's very fun behind the scenes. Uh, it's great to be able to be in regular contact and collaboration with creators I've looked up to for years. I mean, Kieran Gillen has written some of my favorite comics of all time. It's really weird to like, you know, be able to <clears throat> throw stuff back and forth with him and, and Jerry and Al and everyone else. Um, no, it, it is a really good time. I, I wish there was like a, a juicier way to put it, but it is just a, a cool group chat with a lot of people doing, you know, collaborative work and uh, planning terrible things to put your favorite characters through. You guys couldn't see this, but as Steve said, he's going to break our hearts. He was twirling his mustache. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Stephanie, I mean, would... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's, it's nice that my book is called Dark X-Men, so no one can be surprised <laughs> when I do terrible things to people. It's, it's uh, book. Stephanie, would you like to comment on that? What's the energy like? I'm going to second it. Chaos, um, but in the in a great heartbreaking way. Um, what did Nicole Kidman say? Like this is like I feel like when you come to an X Men book, like you come, <laughs> you you arrive um, to feel feelings and have your heart broken. Um, so just think of that. Like think of Nicole Kidman walking into um, the X office, like with her with her like her omnibus of whatever or omnibusy as my friend likes to call them um <laughs> heartbreak feels good in a place like yeah, this it, it feels great yeah. it feels great it feels good in a place like this that is the energy fabulous uh now we talked about nubia a little bit in my episode with derek scott who wrote uh, an incredible book kind of analyzing nubia and her importance uh make sure you have checked out stephanie williams incredible work with nubia which is just a wonderful thing we're not going to spend a lot of time on that today but it's really impressive and really powerful uh at marvel you've been doing character work all over the place and i know kind of the standard when we start at the big companies is they'll give you like a smaller character to work with in a smaller format often that's infinity comics and then let's try something bigger, like maybe Wakanda. And then now let's see how you do with this. And I know you've kind of been building and you, you, you've put your stamp on, on Moon Girl. Uh, you've done your work with Shuri and Wakanda. Uh, and now uh, the family Snicked, of course, which is a, a, a huge favorite. Uh, talk to me a little bit about your Marvel work thus far. Um, it has been wild. I feel like for a little bit, I was getting passed around like a hookah by like the editors because like they would like, hey, um, and it, it was funny because like the the title of the subject in the email was saying like, um, you want another Marvel gig? And I'm like, well, absolutely, because bills are through. But yes, um, <laughs> it's it's been fun. Um, I, Mayday Parker is someone uh, or is a character that I always really appreciate yeah. and love. So it was really cool to get a chance to uh, write something for her. Um, Shuri was like, whoa. Um, and I almost said no to that because like it's just a lot <laughs> um, because it's just it was a lot of stress. Like I know like the Rikash Tatala stuff was going on. I was like, I don't know if I want to get like swooped up into that. I was like, whatever. Um, I do want to play around the world of Wakanda and I really love Shuri and I love her mom as well. And I was like, if you all let me include her mama in this, I will absolutely do it. Um, they did. 
Um, that's fun. Um, Little Rocket just um, debuted on Infinity Comics, which <laughs> was really insane because they were like, hey, um, so we're thinking like we want to do a Little Rocket thing, but like with the Muffet Baby vibe. And I was like, say no more. Because um, I know some tragic things are going to happen in this movie, but sure. Um, <laughs> well, I can treat it like it's all good. I oh, ugly, I girl. ugly cried for like forty-five minutes in Guardians of the Galaxy three. I yeah. talked about that a few weeks ago. <laughs> no spoilers. I haven't been able no. to see it. Well, I, and, and funny enough, I haven't seen it either. So it's going to be funny when I do. And I'm like, oh, this this tone is really different from whatever the hell I wrote. So it's good, um, it's good though. It's, it's really good. Well, thank you. Um, but no, it's it's been really it's been really fun. Um, a Moon Girl Scholastic theme that I've been working on since October just was finally announced, um, which is really cool because Moon Girl and Double Dinosaur, the anime series, has been getting all the play in my house. In fact, my son today angrily said there are only still 16 episodes of this show. And he was like, I know there are more. I've seen them because he got to watch it in its entirety ahead of time with me um, because I had screeners or whatever. He was like, well, where's the rest of the episodes? Like, I know there's more. And I'm like, you got to be patient. And I'm like, mommy doesn't have access to the screeners anymore. So we got to wait. And then can you talk to us a little bit about the family snicked? Uh, Wolverine. Wolverine. Oh, yes. Wolverine has a clone who has a clone who has a pet Wolverine and also a son. And they all went on a little road trip together. (laughs) So the family snick was honestly, um, it feels like a fever dream when Sarah um, like reached out to me to write it. Because I was like, wait, we're doing what? Absolutely. and at the time, I had just recently rewatched uh, National Lampoon's uh, Vacation because I am obsessed with those movies. I've always been, um, and I never need an excuse to watch them again. So the moment that uh, the editor Sarah hit me up and was like, "Hey, like we're thinking about, you know, the Wolverines. They go on a road trip," and I was like, "Say no more." Um, I have. I'm like, "What do you think of a National Lampoon? Are we there yet?" Type of vibe, a little Beethoven because. Um, Wolverine, uh, Logan can't stand Jonathan. I'm like, we can really do some fun stuff. So, um, once we, once I sent in the outline and everything and like Gabby kind of being like the, the glue for all of this, um, it was, I don't know, like it was just off from the races. And I think I wrote that first issue while we were on vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, we had just got to Florida when we went in August, which I don't know why we did that, but, um, <laughs> I took some very immediate, direct influence from the drive, the eight-hour drive it took to get to Orlando um, for that. Um, so I don't know. It was just really fun to work on something that was low stakes with uh, with the Wolverines because they're always doing something that's high stakes or they have no business doing um, because healing factor. Um, so you can, you know, you can, you can, you can cook bacon. With the sh- with your shirt off, if you're um, if you're Logan, um, you're fine. So that that was really that was really fun, and I'm hoping we can get some more family snakes. I got more stories to tell. I'm like, hey, Christmas vacation, we can do a Christmas thing. I'll I'll watch that Vegas vacation, whatever whatever National Lampoon. I'm on it. Well, these characters are wildly similar when it comes to power sets, but wildly different when it comes to personalities. And the way they interplay with each other is really, really fun. Uh, let's focus a little bit on what you guys have coming up. Uh, Steve, if you are prepared to do so, I would love to hear about Dark X-Men. Uh, I have a funny thing. I've mentioned this on my show briefly before, but back when I worked on the Marvel handbooks, toward the end of my time, 
without being asked, I pitched a bunch of books to Marvel and I'm like, hey, you should let me write for you because I had these giant <laughs> aspirations. And I wrote full scripts and uh, sent them in and basically got told, you need to go make a name for yourself elsewhere, which I did. I, I wrote some books and then I came out and then life went crazy. So I didn't really get back to it for a while. Uh, and I went, I went on to making documentaries for a minute. But one of the books that I pitched, this was back during the Dark Reign era, was a book called Dark X-Men. Because uh, I'm like, ooh, they're doing Dark Avengers. Dark X-Men would be amazing. <laughs> And I have this, uh, I have, I mean, I won't tell you the whole story, but like it opened with, and this is a little bit like your X-Men annual where, uh, where you tell your Firestar story. It opened with Whirlwind uh, attacking a bank and Shinobi Shaw leads a team of dark X-Men in, which included Necra and Necra just beats the shit out of, of Whirlwind <laughs> and like stabs him with his own buzzsaw. And like, that's the opening. You're like, fuck yeah, like, is this great book that I'm still jazzed about? So when I saw your new Dark X-Men title, I'm like, yes, uh, let me hear about your, your book. I'm super excited about it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that can't be revealed until after the gala. Um, obviously, a lot of Fall of X hinges on the, the Hellfire Gala issue this summer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> But, uh, you know, as readers saw in Dark Web, the Spider-Man X-Men crossover, Madeline Pryor kind of got what she's been looking for this whole time, which was the full memory and experience of of getting a chance to be Nathan's mother, which was robbed from her back in the 80s with Inferno and everything that went down. Um, So, you know, Jean, when confronted with Maddie taking over New York again... Uh, was like, yeah, I'll just give you what you want, which I thought was a really nice um, subversion of expectations compared to the original Inferno. And in that, Gene also prompts Maddie to do the call of, you know, to me, my X-Men. And that had a big impact on Maddie. So when we pick up in Dark X-Men, there's a lot I can't reveal yet. Um, My book hinges a lot on what happens in the gala, but Maddie was very inspired by that moment and she's going to turn to some of the nastiest mutants around (laughs) to form her own X-Men based out of the Limbo embassy, which was founded at the end of dark web. So Limbo now has a diplomatic presence right in the middle of New York. It now has its own portal um, and, and big, beautiful Gothic mansion skyscraper right on the corner of central park. Uh, So she's got her, her beautiful um, uh, boy wife Havoc with her. Um, I think <laughs> that, that's kind of like the, the role Havoc falls into. Havoc um, is like the Black Knight of the X-Men. <laughs> look, they both look great in a jacket. I think that's what you're really getting at here. A big leather jacket is the look for them. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, so it's, it's kind of a, it's a dark love story between Maddie and Havoc. It's violent. It's got a high body count. Um mm. You know, the previous Dark X-Men was was during Dark Reign with Norman Osborn and wanting, um, you know, kind of the influence of, of um, you know, Namor and Emma and these other characters. But they weren't a monstrous team. My Dark X-Men with Jonas, uh, this is a team of monsters. This is a team of villains. And I really wanted to populate it with, um, you know, the, the classic thing in the X-Men is almost all the major villains at one point or another become X-Men, you know. Emma, Sabretooth, Magneto, up to Apocalypse, Mystique, Destiny. So many of the heavy hitters, they put the mutant cause first, and they know how to unify with other mutants to to progress their goals. This team is full of 
assholes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're never going to find in-play on an X-Men team. You're never going to find a Zazel saying, you know what, I'll put others first. So this is really kind of like the, the gnarliest team I could compose. It's, a it's lot a of really, them won't make it to the end. <laughs> it's really intense. Uh, you've got Angel and Gambit, which of course I, I love, uh, but you, you've got Havoc and Maddie. Your, your announcement of M-Plate and then Albert? Albert. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, Albert and Zero and Carmen Cruz, who uh, was co-created by Vita. And Carmen, I'm really excited about her role to play in the book uh, because... Carmen Cruz of, is a gimmick from... Gimmick uh, from, from Children uh, of the Atom. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, to me, it was really important. You know, all the great X-Men teams have that Kitty Pride role, the younger mutant who's uh, been taken in by the older characters. And Carmen, I, I feel, is one of the the new characters who's emblematic of the Krakoan era. So to throw her in with this din of of terrible people and see if she can emerge unscathed was was really exciting to me. I'm uh, I'm pretty good friends with Chuck Austin. I, I think I emailed you about this, but I, I messaged yeah. Chuck I'm like they're using Azazel, and he he responded, "Oh my god, the character that will not die." Because people bring Azazel up all the time because they hate that he's Matt Crawler's dad. Uh, it made me laugh pretty hard. Uh, the original Dark X Men series I just reread. I'm getting ready to do an episode of Cerebro, which I'm very excited Ooh, about, and we're doing nice. the character Mimic. Nice. And Mimic gets one of his rare features in uh, that series of Dark X Men. But yeah, it'll be a wildly different book. Yes, I I loved that volume, but it is aside from the name, we share nothing. This is Evil Dead Horror X Men. Fabulous. And then Stephanie, I know you've got uh, the character Nightshade coming out. What can you yeah. tell us? Uh, I know, I know. Again, there's there's not been a lot of spoilers yet, but what can you tell us about Nightshade? Um. So Nightshade, the the OG Nightshade, mm-hmm. um, is a character that. Uh, we were going to cover in Misty Night's Uninformed Afro, but didn't get to it. But I had um, done some homework um, and I published a, a piece of mine that I wrote, got published on uh, Fangirl. So basically talking about Nightshade and how she was the original BDSM queen for Marvel. Because like anybody who's going to turn Captain America into a Wolverine, I'm not a Wolverine, but a wolf wow. just for fun. Yeah. Like, I mean, how can you not stand her? Like that's, how do you serve cunt? In a villainous way, that is how you do it, right? <laughs> she, so, she, and, she and Madame Hydra are like the most Bond villain X-Men characters, or excuse me, Marvel characters I can think of. I love them both. Absolutely. Um, and no one knows this, but um, a Nubia character, villain, um, Zilla that I introduced was also influenced by a Bond villain and Nightshade for that reason. But that's aside for now. But anyway, um, I was thinking about this character and she had been recently retcon, well, not retcon, but... Um, she isn't a villain anymore. Uh, she's turned over a new leaf, um, inspired by T'Challa of all people, but <laughs> I won't get into that. Um, but anyway, uh, her run in with him made her want to go straight and it was like, okay, whatever, that's fine, but still miss that villainy. Um, so whatever, we'll continue that name. And I'm just thinking about her story and how she came to be. And for Tilda, she was brilliant. Um, she's this brilliant young woman who did not have the resources or the opportunities to take care. I mean, to um, do what she wanted to do with those gifts in a way that would be beneficial, right? Well, they were beneficial to her um, and whoever she was working for. But, um, you know, she ended up doing a life of crime. And I mean, options are few back against the wall. That is what you end up doing. I was about to give you some Tamla man, take me to the king, but I had to cut that off. Um, 
But um, I was just thinking about that. And so what if there was a character who was just as gifted as Tilda, but because she did have the support, she did have the resources and she did have the opportunities, then what would that look like? Um, So that's kind of how the new Nightshade um, came to be. Um, And also, like, we don't really have a lot of Black women superheroes who have legacies. Um, So I was like, Dylan and I, I don't care. Like, I want to, like, she deserves a legacy as well um, because she is that brilliant. Um, So that's just kind of how she came to be. Um, So I won't, I'll stop there, but I'm really looking forward to it because, um, I don't know, like that's a character that I really enjoyed and appreciated black exploitation and all that included. Um, she's just a unique character. And again, like I felt that she deserved a legacy. So I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to um, do that for that character and extend it. So we'll see. I, uh, I'm so excited. One of the questions I was going to ask is if she's connected to Tilda, which is a wonderful thing. So I, I can't wait. Yes. Oh, You'll see how, but uh, yeah. And there's also another character um, who she is connected to, who is a very big um, and popular Black uh, Marvel character. So I'll put it that way. We're, I'm, I said, where are all the Black people at? Let's, like, let's get them to the front of the room. Um, so that is what happened. The only time Tilda has shown up on my show, I did a recent episode with drag queens doing a fashion review of like old characters costumes. And we nice. featured, yeah. we featured nice. Nightshade in that lineup. It's pretty fun. So go back and listen if you... Uh, I will. Um, we are getting ready to shift gears in a moment. But Omar, do you have any questions for Steve or Stephanie before we... Uh, before we oh, shift? yeah. Uh, I was having the questions like, so when you're, when you're not writing and you want to get away from writing, what show are you watching? But then what show do you also watch when maybe you want to get inspired for something too, right? So I just recently got into 911 Lone Star and it was because of a clip that was online where the guy's mm-hmm. doing the chest compressions and like it goes through and it was given the thing. Um, so <laughs> I have been watching that for the last three weeks now and it is so unhinged, but also really creative um, in some of the, I don't know, like, calls that they have so I've been watching that to just not even necessarily turn my brain off but just kind of enjoy and then like when I want to get into writing um I'm vi- revisiting the hits so we're doing all <laughs> the aliens <laughs> um all the things the 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 original and also the prequel um to the original um and also a lot of real housewives Atlanta and Potomac um I don't know what it is um I think it's just the, <laughs> maybe it's all the reads or whatever, but something about it just kind of puts me um, in the headspace that I need to be in to like either relax me to be creative or think to myself, well, if X character was in Housewife, like what, uh-huh. like what would they be in the confessional saying and like what happens? So, um, yeah. Real Housewives of Krakoa, please. And if you've ever watched, if you've ever watched Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, that's where I live. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is so funny because so I had to. I drove to my parents the other day, and I was listening to an episode of Cerebro Connor's Cutter Goldsmith's podcast, and uh, I was just thinking, like the the only good use of AI I could imagine is stripping Real Housewives content from the podcast I listen to because I just <laughs> don't care no offense and i would watch real housewives of krakoa um but aside from that 
<laughs> every podcast I listen to unrelated to housewives seems to have a housewives segment. So it's it's everywhere except for in my living room. I have never watched Housewives except Salt Lake. My best friend comes over. We watch it on Sundays while my husband's in the kitchen going. That's me grumbling from afar. My my relaxation watch is that I have like a a complete international and obsessive uh, fascination with the Drag Race franchise. I'm with, I'm, I'm, I'm with, my wife makes me watch, I'm like, my wife makes me watch yeah. the new season out. Like, yeah, she's really twisting your arm, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> like, I watch, I watch every single country's version. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm on a discord of, like, spoilers and, and tea leakers from Drag Race. We just found out the cast for season 16, which is filming right now right now so you know it's it's obsessive but i realized it's it's obsessive because it's like the one thing i do that's completely unrelated to work Mm -hmm. it just it doesn't make me think about comics i don't have to think about story structure or anything else i'm just watching something fun where i can turn my brain off when i want to be inspired i'm actually more of like a music person um i don't watch a lot of tv or movies as inspiration but i do like I don't compose intense um, playlists or anything, but I kind of have to find whatever album or musician sets the tone. Like for Dark X-Men, it's really Nick Cave. Um, Nick Cave has really become the soundtrack for that. For the next uh, book, Marvel book I'm writing, I I just figured out that it's PJ Harvey. So she's kind of like in my brain for this next character. Um, But the, the one thing, and this is secondhand advice from my friend James Tynan, Classic sitcoms are enormously useful for structuring comic books. Like you can learn so much from uh, like the golden era, like, you know, Golden Girls, Roseanne, um, stuff from from the early 90s and before Mm -hmm. about juggling A plots, B plots, C plots. Um, And straight on through to I I love Abbott Elementary. And I think that's like one of the best sitcoms in recent memory. And it it does that so beautifully. There are a few episodes where it's like, okay, you just really need to find something for Jacob to do right now. <laughs> um, but it, it's useful if you write in a serial medium to figure out how to like advance something like Gregory and Janine's romance plot over an entire season while giving entertaining and complete stories in every single episode. Um, Tom Brevoort does a wonderful newsletter and he just put a newsletter out where he shared an email he sent to the rest of the editors at Marvel about how even though we're telling, you know, four, five, six issue arcs, each comic really needs to be a discrete story and unit of entertainment because the reader does pick up on if all you got out of this story was, well, the hero got closer to defeating the villain. That's mm-hmm. not a story in and of itself. So yes, mm-hmm. classic sitcoms I think are are really great um, structure fodder. I would love to do an entire podcast just on story structure, but we're going to shift gears here, and this is fascinating content. Uh, my goodness, uh, I'm having fun. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's talk for a moment. Most of my podcast was set in the '60s, and then we have kind of wildly shifted because we're spending a lot of time in the early 2000s. Because there's a lot of content in the early 2000s set right after the 60s. And then once we get through this era, we're going to go back into the early 70s to continue that stuff. Uh, In the 60s, the only character of color to ever appear in the X-Men, depending on how you define character of color, because we have characters like El Tigre and Kukul Khan, but the only Black character specifically was the Black Panther when they teamed up with the Avengers. 
in the early 70s, they faced Moses Magnum, which I've done uh, an episode uh, with Andre on Moses Magnum, which is fabulous. And then later they meet Storm. And Storm, of course, revolutionizes the entire X-Men franchise in her own way. She's a complex, incredible character. Uh, that's in Giant Size X-Men number one, where we see Professor X land in Kenya and recruit Storm. Uh, but right now we get a story about uh, from X-Men The Hidden Years where Beast washes up on the shore and there's Storm. <laughs> we'll talk about it a little bit. But this is canonically the first meeting of Storm with the X-Men, unless you talk about that time when she picked Charles Xavier's pocket when they were in Cairo. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to talk about Storm for just a minute. This is kind of her first introduction to the show. Uh, Storm is Aurora Monroe, the Wind Rider, the Weather Witch, the Walker of Clouds, the Mistress of the Elements, the Regent of Araco, uh, once the Queen of Wakanda. Born from the love of two cultures, her father was David Monroe, an American journalist. Her mother was Princess Ndare of Kenya. And I've also done an episode on her parents uh, with uh, with Bar Fox, so listen to that if you have not. Nice. Aurora was orphaned in Cairo, where her parents died in a plane crash, and she developed claustrophobia because she was trapped under the wreckage with their bodies. She was raised in the streets, becoming a master thief in order to survive. And then after wandering the vastness of Africa and meeting Black Panther, but that's a story for another time, she was embraced as a beloved goddess, one who sought to brought, uh, bring rains to those uh, in need. Uh, Aurora has a strong sense of self-assurance. I'm fascinated by the way she defines family and justice and community and heroism. Her viewpoint is completely different from any of the other X-Men because of her life experiences and what she's been through. We first meet her in Giant Size X-Men number one, as I talked about. She's the third female member of the team, technically, if you count Jean Grey and Lorna, Grain, uh, Lorna Dane first, of course. Uh, and she is the first person of color who joins the team. She is transcendent with her visuals, even from the beginning, her flowing white hair and her blue eyes. Uh, she is an arch nemesis of the Shadow King. And if the epitome of evil fears you, <laughs> then you know you've got something mm -hmm. going well for you. And she has this incredible power set to be able to manipulate the entire forces of weather. And as we opened our conversation today, we talked about the incredibleness of weather itself. And Storm is the one that commands all of that. She is a character that has a lot of complexity and is very difficult for a lot of writers to get right. But we're seeing some incredible things done with her in X-Men Red currently, which is kind of my favorite Storm era in a long time. Uh, before we open our book today, let's talk a little bit about Storm. Uh, what do you love about her? What fascinates you about her? Uh, what does she mean to you? Anyone who'd like to take this, uh, please feel free. Well, as a white a man, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I'll, 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 the first, um, I write about a lot. The first, uh, like, my mom is, my mom is a uh, black. Her first husband's Indian. So, like, the first interracial kiss uh, I know is popular on TV was from Star Trek. For me, the first one I ever saw was between Storm and Forge. That, uh, that cover is issue my brother had. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, okay, this is cool. And the first toy I ever got was from my mom was uh, Storm, the old school. Uh, I have every warmer Storm. The whole it was all black with the lightning bolt in the middle, the gold lightning bolt. Um, so like I'm like yo, like she was always she was always that girl. She was always that girl, and it was cool to see her, like finally now in an era where she's not just treated as like the big gun of the X Men, but like also like this full like fully rounded character and like all the things she has been as well. Like this uh, 
I remember back when uh, Xavier told her, like, oh, you'll be like, when she was married to T'Challa, like, oh, you'll be like the, uh, you'll be this beacon, this uh, this uh, representative between, like, mutant and human relations. And, like, now she's, like, the representative of, like, a whole universe, man. Like, the, the glow up has always, she's always, there was no glow up because she was always glowing. And it just kept going up, up, and up, and, and furthermore for, uh, for her. She's just, like, she gets to be so many things to so many different people as well. She, uh, she's listening. A giant thunderstorm just hit outside. Like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> talk that shit. Talk that shit. Uh, um, Stephanie, what are some of your thoughts? Um, I think for me, um, a storm was really one of the first black women, um, just superhero ones that I've seen on the screen. Um, and that that had a, a massive toll on me. Um, because I was like, oh, okay, well, like we're we're in these stories, we're doing things. But I think it was when I read Life Death. Um, that was the moment where I don't know, like I really saw Storm more than uh what she had been presented as, as like this goddess, this all perfect being, even though she, you know, had claustrophobia or whatever, but like she is the epitome of grace. Um, but to see her broken in that way, um, and then to build herself back up. Uh, that was just something that I really appreciated. I think of um, Rochelle Jordan's song, um, Broken Steel. Um, and, and that really encapsulizes Storm um, during that era. She's somebody who has frequently reinvented herself um, and done so in a way where you're kind of like, oh, okay, like you had this all along. It's like, no, you have to reinvent herself um, and build herself back up. And now she's this thing, um, but that's, she just does it so effortlessly, even though it does take a massive amount of effort. Um, so yeah, Storm is a, a character who is extremely complex. And I, I see why a lot of folks struggle to like either want to write her or write her because um, she isn't just this, this one thing. Um, so that is my, uh, my Storm take. Incredible. Uh, and Steve, as one might mentor to another, you can still love Storm. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I've been very public about the fact that not only was X-Men the animated series very big for me as a kid, but also Pride of the X-Men. Mm. Um, and Storm's one of the few shared characters between those two iterations. So uh, Pride was my first exposure to her. I mean, she really does just have it all. Like she had a, a, a visual that we still iterate on like she never had to have a complete costume redesign. We've been building on what she started with for, you know, ever since her debut, almost 50 years now. Um, she, she's got an amazing power set, visually striking, complex personality. Uh, and also in the early nineties, it was such a heyday of, um, I guess like, uh, black television like i grew up with in living color and family matters and um the cosby show and every everything was going on at the same fresh prince of bel-air so like as a young kid i was taking in a lot of those shows and that often had really cool black matriarchs and i feel like storm often gets to play a similar role of being like the most secure and, and confident and powerful person in a room. So she just clicked for me really early on. Uh, also, she gets the best lines in the animated series. Like it's it's a contest between her and Rogue at all times. <laughs> yes. Uh, their, their voice actors just got to like fucking lose it <laughs> like all the time. And she gets to and, say more than Typhoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, like, you know, 
every every version of commanding the elements and and weather to her to her will um and it just had such a strong impact on me as a kid she also got more toys than any of the other women on the cartoon yes. the toy biz line was so influential on like what made me care about characters and think they were cool and she got way more than rogue and jean barely got any so it's like lots of cool storm uh, action figures in my youth Jean would have gotten more toys, but she fainted on the day she was supposed to show up. So <laughs> now we're going to have a lot to say about Storm in this uh, on this series as the time goes by, including I'll announce this at the end. Another Storm episode we're going to do uh, later this month. Uh, but I love, love, love this character. Uh, the, the what really made her special, and one of the reasons I love this show so much is I really get to do an analysis. So that episode I referenced about her parents. Uh, really made me love her and the mix of cultures and the complexity of where she comes from. Uh, just this beautiful love story that ends in tragedy. Uh, she's she's an incredible character. I love her very, very much. Uh, as we get ready to talk about today's series, had you guys read Hidden Years before? Uh, this is kind of an obscure space for a lot of X-Men fans. I read uh, it when it came out. out. Okay, so yeah. originally... Um, it wasn't originally for me. I had read it um, a while back for like a storm thing that I wrote, but I clearly um, it must have been trauma because I completely <laughs> removed it from my brain. <laughs> and now that I did, and I was like, "Oh wait, I surely did read this." Um, yeah, beautiful gowns. It's a great issue. <laughs> it's uh, there's some there's some fun stuff here. Uh, Burn introduces a lot of new villains during the hidden years. We'll get to meet one of them today. His name is Deluge, uh, and I will. I've say been calling him Deluja. <laughs> well, no, 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 I know it's Deluge, but it's a it's a it's a joke that my friend has for me um, because I'm always often overworked. I am teetering in Deluja delusion, so like I'm always dancing with Deluja. It's this whole entity. So Deluja I is much better. Deluja Delusia so. is much better than Delugi. Yes. <laughs> so X Men: The Hidden Years. Quick recap: This is the John Byrne series from the early 2000s. You've heard me heard me introduce this on the show already. Uh, what you need to know: The X Men were sent to the Savage Land to find out if Magneto was still alive. They met a race of enslavers and met one of them is a mutant named Avia, who's a weird bird woman that we'll see very briefly in this. And then a crazy storm blew them all apart, and they were literally attached to gas bags and flew across the ocean. That's kind of what you need. Beast landed in Africa, where Storm is standing over him. It's a surprise at the end of the last issue. Uh, Cyclops is unconscious because he used his powers too much, and Jean's looking for him. Uh, uh, Havoc and Lorna are in a ship in the Savage Land with Kazar looking for their allies. Iceman has landed in the Savage Land and is amnesiac and has been discovered by Carl Lycos uh, or Sauron. And uh, Angel and Avia uh, are missing at sea somewhere, while Candy Southern is uh, at the X-Men mansion. We talked about pacing and like how to juggle a lot of different plots. There are a lot of plots happening in this book, and some of them there's like a page and you don't see them again for four issues. Uh, so the pacing of all of this can be intense when I'm asking people to review. Uh, we open up uh, on X-Men The Hidden Years number six, which is Behold, A Goddess Rising. So when I announce this episode, it will say, Behold, A Goddess Rising featuring Stephanie Williams, which seems absolutely appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, as we look at the cover, we get a, a wonderful image of a uh, burn-drawn storm uh, flying in the sky as the X-Men are beneath her in shock. What do you guys think about this cover? Man, they really love to have her... Um... Uh, titties out, or I guess Janelle uh, Monae's as Omar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the funny thing is, like, I saw a lot of covers like this, so it always made me think, like, man, if I get like a thirty 
30 inch bust down or something like that. Like we'll just, we'll just put them over the tatas. Um, but it's a very majestic cover, but man, Storm, you know, hey girl, no bras. <laughs> uh, and of I course think- she gagged them all. Well, I'm sorry, but also she's gagging everybody in the background. Because um, they just can't, they can't <laughs> believe it. Shit, right? y'all, y'all seeing this? It is gold ornamentation around her neck, her wrists, her waist, red loincloth, and then her classic black tiara, which there's an origin story for that. It's related to her uh, her heritage. Oh. We won't talk about that today. Uh, it's a beautiful cover. I really love it. But yes, uh, this is the era where when Xavier first meets her, she is topless and Vern kept that going here. <laughs> uh, let me open the book for us very quickly. When we are uh, looking in this book, the uh, the book opens on Bobby, who is washed up in his briefs and boots on the shore in the savage land. Uh, and this is his best day. He, <laughs> he loves hanging out in his underwear in the jungle. Uh, pterodons are swarming over him. But Carl Lycos is there, my favorite villain, uh, Sauron, to uh, swarm the way. And then he is uh, he's like, oh, no, I cannot drain his life. This is the era where Sauron is living in the Savage Land. Uh, and we will talk more about him later because he's not a big part of today's story. But he found Iceman, which is fun. Uh, we then go to Candy Southern. And she is confronting Professor X in the X-Mansion. And she is fucking amazing. I love this character. She is like, she knows this man can literally just erase her mind. But she's like, go ahead, erase my memories if you want. And then you got to tell Angel what you did to me. And you have to explain it to everybody. And then you got to erase all their minds. So if it's worth it to you, then go ahead. And uh, Xavier's like, what if you're being manipulated by an enemy? And she says, and this is a direct quote. That's an interesting paranoia you have there, Professor. I guess that's one of the distinct disadvantages of setting yourself up as a whole lot of people uh, with not a whole lot of people you can trust, which is a great read of Charles Xavier. Like, just fucking beautiful. Uh, Any thoughts on Candy's read of Xavier? Because we have we could take a moment there. It's pretty it's pretty amazing. Still rings true today. I'm like, I'm like, damn, I'm like, like, not much has changed. I see. (laughs) How do you serve cunt in the X-Mansion? Talk to Candy Southern. <laughs> yeah, she's a she's ballsy, man. I really, I really love her here. Uh, Steve, are you a Candy Southern fan? I have no strong Candy Southern feelings. I do think it's it, when you're talking about pacing with the series, uh, this is one of the funny examples because unless you read a very specific part of X Men history. Candy Southern just means absolutely yeah. nothing to you. Like she's not a character. Like if you came in in the last. 40 years she really doesn't mean anything to you uh, which i always find very amusing i love her i wrote the whole encyclopedia up on the appendix about her so you can find that there if you'd like we'll talk more about her in future episodes uh she's uh omar seems unfamiliar she's angel's girlfriend from the 60s uh she goes on to lead the team of defenders for a while which is amazing Mm -hmm. as a civilian character and then she gets eaten by the phalanx uh in the 90s that's kind of what you need but she's incredible she's a she's a a character that's that's uh well remembered by people who know her but most Mm -hmm. people don't know her until they listen to connor's like four and a half episode uh our episode of cerebro about this character which is crazy (laughs) i told i told connor when um when dark x-men got announced the first cover just has maddie and male characters and so i told people on twitter like they're very important female characters they're just not on this first cover and i could tell who the cerebro fans were because they're like candy southern is candy <laughs> southern coming to dark x-men and i messaged him i was like god damn you 
<laughs> I love her. I would I would write her all day. Okay, so back in Africa, a uh, beast who is apparently mild mildly telepathic because there was a radioactive gas in the Savage Land that made him telepathic. It's 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 a weird story. Go listen to our previous episodes as we review all this. Uh, he's able to speak the same language as Aurora and the tribesmen. Uh, one of her tribesmen's name is Makumba, who is a character that I don't think we have ever seen again. Uh, then we shift over to Jean, who is looking for Cyclops, but Cyclops has been found by Deluge. Uh, and <laughs> the the definition of a, a Deluge is a severe flood, but it also means to inundate with a great quantity of something. That's That's like the verb form of that word. This guy is albino, which is a white pigmentation on the skin. Uh, he is African. We'll talk about him in the next issue. Uh, he has a massive torso and just like the worst costume. I, if anyone else has different opinions, that's fine. It's a metal headpiece, gloves, shoulder pads, undies, black leather bodysuit, red cape. And there's this weird image where he has this massive torso. And clearly he's, he has been skipping like every leg day at the gym <laughs> for so long. Uh, he's, he's so <laughs> tiny on the bottom half. It's a weird picture. Uh, he he's visually striking in a way, but in an odd way. Uh, what are your thoughts on the introduction of Deluge? His costume looks like the leftover parts between Shredder and Darth Vader. They're like, here, you can take this. You'll make something work from it. Tim got it. Make it work, man. Definitely, Aaliyah. Um, we need a villain for this. Um, let's let's. You know what? Do you, how do you feel about? How do you feel about albinos? Let's let's uh let's go ahead and make them like, like let's do a little representation here. That's what it feels like. <laughs> it feels like a quick um you know let's do a little DEI uh, DEI because we got Storm here and um let's bring them on in. Um so very very nineties very late nineties and as cringy as that is like that's just what it feels like and that's okay because we get a lot of that. All of that. That is yeah. comics. Um, and that's fine. Um, but that's just kind of what it felt like. They were not selling toys. Um, <laughs> I have toys in mind <laughs> when they made him at all. So I definitely assumed he was like an alien. <laughs> I did not get that he was an albino human being. I I chalked the weird proportions uh up to him being an alien, but uh he does kind of look like that archetypal like you know when you're watching a movie or a TV show and they have to have a comic, but they didn't want to license a comic, so they just have <laughs> someone draw like a really generic villain. That that's what he's giving. He's giving like rights-free opposition to a, a generic superhero. Awesome man would fight this guy. <laughs> he makes me uncomfortable. Now, when we did our issue review of number one, uh, we had Jason Liebig and Gregory Wright on, who both worked on this book. And they talked about how John Byrne got really angry because there has a character who was albino who got miscolored as black and John lost so, his crap. I was going to bring that up. Um, so I was doing research for another thing. Um, and the reason why I, I mentioned him being albino is because um, there were a couple cases where characters would be colored that way for simply avoiding um, either coloring them too dark or too light. So if you so if you give them black features and you say they're albino, you're in the clear, like you're good. You're not worried about being sunscreen spot or any of that. <laughs> My understanding is that uh, we'll talk about his origin in a minute, but this character was created to be albino so that it would give him yeah, yeah, reason yeah. to be a misfit in his society. Uh, but yeah, it's an, it's an interesting. 
I, mm, I'm going to reserve my thoughts on this villain, but my first impression is I don't like him very much. He is a mutant and he can manipulate energy and like make it stronger in like a Fabian Cortez kind of way, except he takes control of the power. It's He's he's an interesting character for that reason. Uh, he finds Cyclops lying in the woods, uh, in the jungle, and uh, pulls his visor off and it shoots in the sky, which is a beacon then to Beast. Uh, Beast is back in the village. Uh, trying to explain what it means to be a mutant to Aurora. Like, we have a sense of responsibility back in America. You should understand <laughs> our our ways, which is... <laughs> Fuck you, Beast. <laughs> uh, um, as we are uh, moving forward in the book, Steve, will you take the second half of uh, of this issue? Tell us what happens. Oh, your sound is off. I will take the second half of this issue, and I know we're speed running this a bit, but I I have to go back. I'm very disappointed that you did not linger on the fact that Bobby washes up in his underwear to Carl Lycos, this big rugged man, coming up and saying, the boy will not be yours today, but he may be mine, (laughs) as he beats away a pterodon and says, I can almost taste it without even touching him. No, I must not touch him. I must not let the madness consume me again. That's absolutely fair. We had to to touch this or not touch it, uh, lest the madness get us. Um, so back to the the middle of the issue. Uh, Beast is swinging through the the jungle here. He's now down to his trunks, which begs the question of if he took off his entire bodysuit and put the trunks back on, which I thought was funny, or if they're constructed with like sort of a tearaway, like a drag race reveal. I am very uh, into this look, for Beast. <laughs> Yeah, it really, that was his reveal runway. (laughs) He was ready to go. Um, But we get one of those great mid-page transitions, which no writer ever wants to do, to another part of the Savage Land, or no, to the Savage Land, where um, Kazar, Havoc, and Magnatrix, (laughs) Lorna Dane, are soaring over a volcano. And one of those really goofy, like, continuity moments is, you know, Havoc calls her Magnatrix, and then Lorna's like, we get it, Alex. That name sucks. Leave it alone. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you just didn't even need to call her that. Like, why Why did you even put this in the issue? I don't understand. Um, but they fly over some lava, and then they fly over and see thousands of survivors from some sort of natural disaster. And they land, and they send Kazar out to question them and, and speak to them. And he says, he'll handle this, yada, yada. Uh, they immediately start throwing rocks at him. And Havoc, as he is prone to do, then just blasts everybody with his abilities. Now, quick side note. In previous issues, we saw a race called the Nugarai, who were manipulating radioactive mists that when you were exposed to the mist, it kept you alive. It was like a a fountain of youth. And they convinced all the local tribes in the Savage Land to send their elderly into these mists, which they thought was the land of the dead. But then the elderly would turn young and the Nugurai would make them slaves because they would live forever. So the people they're interacting with here in the Savage Land are the liberated slaves because a volcano freed them from their land. And now they're meeting mutants. It's it's kind of a weird story that goes on for a minute. But that's who these people are. Yeah, and if you have not read the preceding issues, you don't get any of that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I breezed right on by. Um, we then cut back to Delusia who is uh, allowing Cyclops to shoot his optic blast. He's absorbing the energy. It's one of those classic, like, throw all the heroes under the bus to show how powerful your Mm. villain is moment. Um, And we get a whole sequence of that where 
he absorbs Scott's blasts, and then Jean shows up with a panel where she is fully ass out to the audience, which is a reminder that John Byrne drew this. Uh, and she tries <laughs> to telekinetically throw rocks at him, which, to be fair, is not very impressive, which is what he says. And then he knocks her into a tree so she can faint as required by law in this era. Um, Beast shows up and socks him one. Uh, and then he blasts him right back. And then Storm shows up and the exact same thing happens again. So he does just kind of uh, take out all the X-Men and Storm one by one. It is uh, mystifying that Storm's hair is thick and luxurious enough to constantly cover her breasts. Um, this entire fight sequence. Part of her mutant powers. Yes, her mutant ability to have long, straight white hair that is always <laughs> a lady diving her her uh, female parts. So then they all come to a few moments later and they've been tied to stakes in a dry riverbed. Um, Deluja uh, narrates that they've been building this dam here. And then he summons his abilities in a very impressive page, to be fair. He looks really as cool as a character with his design can look. Um, he finally announces his name on page 20 of the issue and he summons a raging river. And so the last we see of Beast, Cyclops, Jean, and Storm is them being submerged by the waters. They're tied to a stake and uh, surely they will perish here and not go on to have decades of adventures elsewhere. And there's very little given, little context given for Storm or her history here, but all you're seeing is that she is, it's kind of a self-sufficiency thing. She's having the local tribes uh, like dig a dam, and then she's going to use her powers to fill it, which is the blessing from the goddess upon the community, which again, there's more about the psychology of this character that I'm so fascinated about, but I really like that portrayal of her in this era of her continuity. Yeah, I mean, it's not terrible early storming. It just makes no sense to have her encounter the team at this point in either yeah. of their histories. Yeah. Um, and then we end the issue on a, a two-page aside where we're in the South Atlantic and this um, very old-school tugboat, a steamboat. <laughs> I'm not a boat expert. It's a boat. It floats. <laughs> um, they catch Warren Worthington III in their net, uh, and they say, well, throw it with the other angel. And that's when we reveal, they do literally just throw his body on top of uh, this strange bird-like character. The Easy most surprising on. thing, I'm not going to respect that. Uh, the most <laughs> surprising thing was to discover that there was another like freakish bird mutant. Because uh, if you've read the original New Mutants, we already had to deal with like a freakish bird character who was quickly like tossed out of continuity. In Avia's first appearance, we said on the show that we want to see her and Birdbrain build a nest somewhere and have a little brood of babies. And Beak and Beak's children can go live with them. <laughs> Somehow that's so insulting to Beak. <laughs> Beak emerges as the winner in this case. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the issue. Listen, John Byrne and Tom Palmer, unimpeachable art team. Uh, John Byrne, not a great guy anymore. Uh, and not an unimpeachable writer. So I don't feel so bad uh, bearing aspects of this book, but it looks fantastic. Uh, I, I really do think that even into this era, uh, John Byrne still looks really, really strong and, and Greg Wright's a great colorist match for him. Super fun fact, uh, briefly, the boat that catches Angel is called the Sigurd Jarlson, which is an alias of Thor. 
It's a oh, weird okay. reference point, and I don't know what the connection is to anything else, but they just named the boat Sigurd Jarlson. Uh, we're going to jump into issue nine, which is called Power Play. Uh, we see Storm versus Deluge on the cover as they are wrestling over some lightning. And uh, Stephanie, do you want to open the book for your, here for us? Yeah, so um, Power Play, we get a nice little title card um, and we do a little rewind and we see the characters um, Storm, Beast, and Jean and Cyclops before uh, they're overtaken by the water. Because it's like, oh, no. And plus one truly extraordinary young woman whose breasts are neatly covered. So we get to the next page and Cyclops is just knocked out. He has no help to anyone. And um, the water overtakes them. And <laughs> Jean looks like she is choking. Um, this 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 is hilarious. Um, they all have really terrible um, we're about to die faces. Even Cyclops, who is knocked out. Um, Miss Deluja is, um, you know, she's one, um, or he, he's one and he's, he's ready, um, to, uh, I don't know, like, why are you messing with these people's dams also? Like, what do you, like, what do you, what, how does that benefit you? But anyway, he's, he's going on and on about the damn dam. Yeah, he rises up and Jean does something that she said she swore she would never do. And she types, she, um, she taps into Cyclops's psyche, um, even though he's, uh, you know, unconscious to take over his motor skills so that um, he could burst free. Um, and, she's and worried. She's worried if she oh, she's worried if she lifts his eyelids directly that she'll tear them, which is Whoa, like that's so gross. <laughs> it's just like I'm like, OK, like G would actually be great on uh, the 911 show, but that is unrelated. Um, so uh, Cyclops optic blast uh, ruins the dam, which and anyway, ruins the dam. And then uh, Beast was like, oh, yeah, like I'll finally use my powers. And she's like, if you were strong enough to break the stick out of the water, you were not strong enough to do it under the water. Like, why are we calling you beasts? What is all that chest here for? We're not going to really lean into being an alpha male. So uh, he does that. Um, Jean has not passed out. She's actually strong enough to levitate Cyclops out of the water. And again, why not make beasts do that? So uh, <laughs> Jean levitates um, telepathically moves Cyclops uh, onto the shore and Storm is like, hey, um, Deluge has taken over this this storm that I created um, with my intent was to fill this dam. So let me go. Let me go figure out what's going on with him because he's clearly taking his vengeance out on the world and I can't have that. So we cut to uh, Bobby and his draws again and this man is dungarees. Uh, and they are, <laughs> at first I was like, man, like, when did y'all get to, like, Egypt? It's not that. <laughs> they're still on this island, but it was a quick. So they're there. Um, Bobby's like, you know, how did I get here? And they're doing the whole, like, I found you. Uh, there are some skeletons that were enjoying a drink. Nazi skeletons at that. There's swastikas. There's swastikas oh on the God. packages in the back. Why? <laughs> Nazis are on this island um, doing their thing, and now they're dead. So, I mean... That's a small victory. Um, and Bobby's like, why did you tie me up? And why did I like it so much? <laughs> he was like, I feel so weak. Um, I don't remember anything. He's like, of course you don't. Um, then we cut to uh, Havoc, Lorna, 
who's the guy in the long the long Kesar. Oh my god, yes, Kesar. Um, and it's and it's Robin Fenty draws. Uh, we cut back to him and uh these enslaved folks, which I mean, I, I guess like we're on a savage land. I, they they didn't have to be that, but whatever, they're free now. And um, uh, something about an energy vampire, which I read that and it made me make a note to myself that if I am still up late tonight, I will go in search of the rest of this because now I need to know what's going on. Um, so anyway. So the energy vampire brings... is a is a reference. It's a quote to the next page. They're referring back ah. to Deluge again. Miss so Deluge, Deluge is... which I will call I, her okay. forever. Oh, no, I thought Miss Deluge was an energy vampire because this is who this baby is right here. Um, <laughs> who looks like <laughs> I don't know if you all have watched um, the Legion, uh, a superheroes uh, DC movie, but there's like a little pet um, plaything, and like that's what Deluge looks like. I'd be mad too. <laughs> Uh, because he did not finish downloading or uploading. Uh, so Jean, I'm not Jean, but Storm says the most that she said so far, and is uh, what is this? Um, let me go ahead and read it. That would be one way to express it, Jean Gray. The man called Deluge draws energy directly from his uh, surroundings, but he is also able to uh, shape that energy to use it to create more. Um, and then of course, Beast is like. Oh, so that means that's what he did uh, to your little storm. And it's just like, why are you being so inflammatory? And I, sir, why are you being, for what, your little storm? So if I was storm, I'd fuck beast. Uh, So anyway, it's happening. And they're talking about the local reservoir. And beast just continues to be just a jackass. Um, We get the backstory of um Deluja came to be um and it's because he was born he was born into this miserable world undownloaded looking like a melted thing of um ice cream they're holding him upside down like he is a blizzard from Dairy Queen which is really rude <laughs> so yes um and they they wow they throw mud at him they kick him out and you just learn why he's so and he's stealing things on top of that they really make him out and they justify uh, why he wants to get revenge on um, this and this, I, I guess this, this little village or whatever, because they, yeah, they so take them out. He's part of like a tribe that has not had contact with the modern world in generations, but there's a couple white people there like exploiting them and studying them. And he finds them and they're mm-hmm. like, we can't let him go back to his people. They'll tell him what we're doing, but then he gets appendicitis. So they send him back to the mainland to get treated. And that's where he discovers he's a mutant apparently and gets an education. It's kind of a wild origin story. It's a, uh, you know what it's giving me, it's Disney remember the Titans in a way. Um, but it's it's this would make a great Disney movie um from the early 90s um, from the late 90s, one of those Disney flicks, um, because he was found by those white folks. And <laughs> what is that movie with uh, uh with Sandra Bullock? Oh, the blind um, side. <laughs> So it's very blindsidey in a way. Um, and here's a fun yeah. fact: a future handbook will reveal this guy's real name is Mazungu, which is M Z U N G U. So there's oh, a, okay. another misdeluge effect for you. Mm, all right. Well, nothing um, says like tight, thrilling plotting like appendicitis. <laughs> <laughs> 
he had to get his tonsils out. So that's all. <laughs> Man, I love comics. Um, <laughs> and I think, um, is that up to page 11? I couldn't tell because, um, you know, sometimes they count the first couple things. Yeah, like yeah. Page 12 is. There's also one more really uncomfortable part of this guy. He discovers once he's sick, uh, and he re- again reveals realizes he's a mutant. The person who is behind the study of mm-hmm. his people is a black man, uh, who's basically saying they're they're not going to be harmed. They're you know they're primitives. They've lived for thousands of years this way, and he has to lash out against this guy. And that's when he realizes nobody uh, nobody is there for me. I have to stand out against everyone. So I, I'm always really uncomfortable when they start with a story about race. They make white people in it, but then they put the black guy as the one behind the white people who are who are bad. This is a thing Marvel does over and over and over again, most famously with the Sons of the Serpent, who are the racist characters. But back in the 60s and 70s, it was often shown that their leader was actually black and had a mask on. And those types of stories make me deeply uncomfortable every mm-hmm. time. So if there's any commentary on that, we could talk about it. If not, yeah, because we <laughs> well, yeah, it's the whole thing of, um, I don't know, like uh, people, marginalized folks can be terrible too. So uh, because of that, like we can, uh, I don't know, like we can, we can really push this to the max um, mm-hmm. as far as their, uh, the depiction um, and show that. I don't know, like another reason for you not to feel sorry for this villain because everybody is terrible. And it's just, it's kind of like this both sides thing that I really hate. Um, and it gets a little tricky when you get into X-Men contact and uh, content and mutants in general because then you have Black folks who are calling mutants muties. And it's yeah. kind of like, so I'm pretty sure that, that uh, mutants would be marching with uh dr martin luther king and it would be beast who would be on the other side with um the hoses i don't know strict 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 that from what i said but um i don't know like it's just it's just always weird when that happens um even with kitty pride and that whole um god fears uh god i always forget the name of that run but i mean that look but you all know uh Yes, God loves man kills and, um, you know, her saying the N-word and everything. And it's just like, okay, like you toe on the line mm-hmm. right now. Like, I understand mm-hmm. that she is a mutant, but also she is still white. Mm-hmm. Even if she right. is a Jewish woman, like, that's like, let's not do that. But And the entire yeah, period of that, being is white, just, white men, which is always the thing. Yes, right? and, I, and I just kind of like, okay, guys, I, I guess. Um, sorry, I, I can go all day about that because... Oh, the 90s. I mean, comics in general, past the 90s, but like really (laughs) during that time is. I'm surprised Crack wasn't involved in this. You're being kind by limiting it to one time era. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I really am. I really am. But, um, but yeah. Okay. I'm done. Uh, Not really, but I'm done. Omar, will you take the last half of the book for us? Of course. So uh, Deluja, I, I got to call him Deluja from now on. Deluja flying up, saying, oh, I'm about to run cases on all y'all. All y'all about to get this fade right here. Uh, Storm gets sent up to distract him because Hank McCoy has a plan because he's a man of science, of course. And uh, Storm comes up and she's like, yo, that we're not. She's like, any wrongs you suffered, Deluja, they were not born of your, they were born of your anger and your bitterness. And he's like, yo, hey, don't try, don't try, don't come in here and talk of that mess to me, Storm. All right, I ain't trying to hear none of that. <laughs> and then uh, they're battling it out, and uh, Storm's distracting them. Uh, 
We got Hank running. We haven't really talked about this. Cyclops has been knocked out for two issues. The leader of the X-Men knocked out, and he's been used as a car battery mostly to get the jump start throughout this entire series. My man is weakened and burning it. And, partly, uh, partly because they could not have Cyclops see Storm because oh, it yeah, wouldn't fit the go. continuity otherwise. Because he, ah. he he clearly meets her for the first time later. Gotcha. And so <laughs> Beast is ever so gently. Uh, he's carrying. Uh, he's carrying Cyclops. Then he ever so gently laying his head down as he's informing Gene of the plan and uh, well informing us of the plan. And Gene sets a psychic connection up with uh, Storm and uh, Hank is saying here, yeah, we're not about the power of friendship our way out of this. We're going to use science. And I love the, I always love this, like, not complicated science and stuff like that, but it's like, okay, like we're going to, we're going to do this plan. And uh, when the villain gets the monologue about what they're about to do, the hero gets the monologue about how they've got the plan that, oh, what just happened in order to beat the villain. And so the Hank's uh, science gets uploaded to the storm and she's like, all right, I see what you're going for over here. And they create a kind of like a a sky, I'm gonna say like a sky microscope, a sky, no, a sky magnifying glass. That's, <laughs> how, that's how I'm gonna put this science. They create like a, she creates like a magnifying glass within the tunnel of the storm they're in and it beams down right on Gene and Scott. And Deluge is like, well, I ain't gonna let this happen. I'm gonna fly right at you. And so they open Scott's eyes and jumpstart him as a car battery again. His beams then hit Deleuze. And Deleuze is like, yo, y'all dumb. Y'all, is y'all dumb? Because y'all seem dumb giving me all this energy I need right now. And man's just drunk off power right now. He's like, yo, I'm the strongest there is right now. I'm 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 big star. I'm Superman red right now. Copyright can't say that. And so Hank <laughs> <laughs> and so they're all watching it. So like, all right, give it time, give it time. And what always happens with a villain getting mad power at once is, oh no, I can't control all this power. And my man dissipates like Luke Skywalker, um, basically dying, uh, or not dying, he gets converted into energy perhaps, but he just dissipates into the air. And we find out what happened. And what happened was that magnifying I want to call it a funnel, really, but that magnifying glass from the sky using the storm that storm created, uh, thereby gave uh, it basically jump started Scott's powers and uh, gave him just a clear, pure line of solar energy, which which was then too much for Deluja to handle. And I and so <laughs> I guess it's confirmation that his concussive blasts are coming from a punch dimension. We can take that uh, here. And then Storm's like, wow, this was uh, this is some crazy stuff happening. Uh, I'm going to leave you white people now. I'm going back to my village. And we see now Cyclops waking up like, what happened? Who's that lady flying away? And Hank is telling him, like, oh, that's a remarkable young woman, Scott. And they're about to head home. And also Gene is telling him, oh, Scott, Hank is saying that perhaps they should tell the uh, professor about her. And Gene's like, the professor already knows about her. And Scott's waking up like, well, more secrets from Professor X. I really wonder if we ever really know him at all. Things that are ringing true to this day still. And we're gonna lot. We're gonna get in the next episode. We get a lot into the Gene and Xavier dynamic. Uh, we'll talk a lot about that next time. Mm -hmm. And then back on the boat. Back on the what was the name of that boat again? Uh, the Sigurd Jarlson. For some reason, you said that, and I heard Bob Seger in my head. So back on the Bob Seger, <laughs> the captains. <laughs> <laughs> the captains are like, first of all, we out here trying to get chicken to the sea. Y'all got these people locked up in here. Like, what are we supposed to do with this? And then this crew is like, yo, we can make a million off these mutants, man. Just, just you ain't even got to tell the company what we doing. Let's just go to, you know, just don't put them on the book. Just write them off the books. And then we see, uh, is it was it Avia? Yep. Avia and Warren tied up and gagged. 
And they're like, yo, we about to get, we about to make money off of these mutants right here. And then flashback now to <laughs> that's 75, uh, 75 hours later with Scott, Hank, and Gene now coming back into the X Mansion. And uh, they're wondering, oh, I wonder where Warren and uh, they're wondering where just where Warren is. They didn't even mention it Bobby or nothing. It's like, oh, I wonder where Warren is. Scott's <laughs> like, man, fuck Warren, whatever, bro. He's, a, he's got wings. He can take care of himself. They go into the house. There's a shadowy figure there. And they're like, oh, shit, an intruder. Scott, I got, Scott just like, you know what? I'm, it's been 75 hours. I'm tired. I'm sending the beams off. I'm someone's in here. I'm sending the beams off. I'm shooting before asking questions. Uh, they get into the scrapping. We see a stone fist come out and hit Hank. He deserved it. And then we're now seeing, oh, by then we know, like, oh, this feels like some famous folks are intruding. And once we see the flame and the stretchy body, we now know that it's the Fantastic Four that have ran up in the x-men's house and they're like oh shit fantastic four is here though i'm now realizing that's not the invisible woman but instead that's alicia crystal alicia. Crystal. Yeah, crystal crystal, crystal. we will uh, we will get now. into the ff and the x-men next time as well uh i would love to hear your hot takes on avia very quickly and can we expect her in dark x-men I am thinking, I was like, you know, can I bring any of these people back just to kill them horribly? <laughs> in, in the background of a scene? Like, can Deluja just die miserably? Um, but they probably won't, because I think we all pretend this series didn't happen. <laughs> I, I kind of want I kind of want the Green Lagoon and Dark Veil's hosting a drag show, and we get Miss Deluja up on yes. the stage. Yes. And for first time back, she is feeling herself. Please don't I want to bring Delusia back. <laughs> I want to bring Delusia back. I'm going to put that on my um, to do list. Uh, on my to do list. Yes, I'm going to bring Delusia back. I would adore that. That'd be amazing. Uh, only written by Stephanie Williams, though. That's the only yeah. person I want to see take, take this character. I got to bring them back now because <laughs> yeah, we got to bring them back. We got to we got to fix some things. But yeah, let's bring them back. This is not the best set of comics ever. It's not the worst either. Beast is an asshole. Xavier is an asshole. There's way too many plots happening. It's seeding things. We got Candy. We got Iceman. We got Sauron. We got the tribe. Havoc and Kazar and Lorna are in that fucking ship for like six straight issues for no goddamn reason. <laughs> now the Fantastic Four are here. Storm appeared. It is fun to see Storm show up. That That's a fun thing. Uh, she's portrayed in in a decent way, but she doesn't get a lot to do, so it's not the best story. But still, fuck yeah, it's Storm, right? Uh, <laughs> do you guys have any concluding thoughts as we wrap up our review of these two issues? It's just hilarious that in order to like, I mean, to kind of keep continuity, like, yeah, Cyclops has to be um, unconscious during this entire time the Storm is here, which is just kind of funny. Um, it's a funny thing that that is the way that they kind of worked around that. It makes sense. Because I was thinking, I'm like, man, like, so when I did finally meet Storm, was it the whole thing? Of like, you all remember that one time, um, you know, we were strapped to those poles, we were strapped to those uh, stakes <laughs> or whatever. And like this guy, um, he tried to kill us. Do you remember that? Like, Dream, do you remember like tapping into Cyclops's mind? And you said you never do it, but you did. And hey, Beast, um, do you remember so, that time you tried to tell me how to be a mutant? Fuck you. Yeah, yes. My little, like, oh, and Beast, like, you remember my little storm? Yeah, oh, but yeah. Like, you know, that, my, you know oh. that Tesla you just bought? Like, mm -hmm. I just blew that shit up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This has been an absolute delight. Uh, hearing Miss Delusia, it, it will forever be in my brain. I will always <laughs> associate these comics with the two of you, uh, with the three of you, excuse me. This was uh, just a genuine delight. I had a great time today, and it's so fun getting to know you all. Thank you. Thank you for being here.
Um, as we are wrapping up, we're going to release this episode on June 5th. Uh, where can people find each of you online? And is there anything you would like to plug? Keep in mind, you can edit anything out up to the day before we release the show. So if you end up announcing something that has not yet been announced, I can always make that change and I'll check with you. Uh, let's go in the order of uh, Stephanie, Steve, and then Omar. Where can we find you and what would you like to plug? Uh, you can find me on all social media at Steph underscore I underscore Will. Um, of course, please check out Marvel Voices Pride, number one, um, that will be out um, June 15th. And also check out, um, uh, what is it, Magic the Gathering uh, Noble. I wrote a story featuring two characters, Jason Baraska. It's a swashbuckling romance. I was very happy. And also, like, if you have any D&D groups, I'm, like, all of a sudden into that now. So uh, please hit me up. <laughs> Wonderful. Stephanie, it's just amazing to get to know you. Thank you for being here today. No, uh, thank you for the invite. And then over to Steve. Yeah, you can find me at Steve underscore Fox, F-O-X-E, on Twitter. I hope it's down by the time uh, this episode comes out, uh, which I think I've said for every episode, but it is getting closer each time. Yeah. Um, you can also find me at SteveFox.com, which I keep very updated. Um, like Steph said, Marvel Voices Pride is out in June. We're both in it. Uh, please check that out. Uh, all AIs will still be ongoing or going on. It's not ongoing. Um, and also, uh, that should be right around the time that you have final order cut off for Dark X-Men number one. So please tell your shop to pre-order that. We have big, gory, monstrous plans for you. I can't wait. Uh, I'm so excited. Uh, and then uh, over to Omar. Oh, uh, you can find me at Omar Holman, O-M-A-R-H-O-L-M-O-N. Uh, I'm over on TikTok as well under that. And when not there or writing editorials for uh, Black Nerd Problems, I am just lost my train of thought. I am running Black Nerd Problems socials. That's what I am doing. So you can also go to Black Nerd <laughs> Problems, uh, B-L-K-N-R-D Problems on Twitter or BlackNerdProblems.com. And you can see a bunch of my editorials there or a bunch of other of our incredible staff members editorials down there as well. I, uh, I'm a big fan of your site. When I extended the invite to you and you responded, I was like, oh, yay, this is great. Uh, it's so great to get to know you, Omar. I, I really, really love what you're doing. Uh, and this was a delight. Uh, lastly, I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but the three of you are welcome to add me since I know you now. Oh, nice. Uh, but my uh, my podcast can be followed on Gray Malkin Lane, uh, Gray Malkin PP Like Podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. I'm posting regular content and we've got wild and incredible plans uh, booked all the way into September at this point, which is amazing. And I'm so excited to share with you what we have uh, coming next. The next episode immediately follow with this one. We'll go right back into X-Men The Hidden Years numbers eight and nine. Uh, my guest for that episode is going to be Erica Schultz and I'm going to be joined by my friend Carrie Harris as well. Uh, we get to talk all about X23 and Hallow's Eve and all the amazing things Erica is doing for Marvel right now. And uh, follow up on the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. The Xenox comeback. There's some crazy Professor X stuff. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, my next uh, Patreon episode immediately after this is going to focus on Brian and Sharon Xavier, the parents of Charles. Uh, and it's a wild story. It's way crazier than you think uh, with my friend Justin Wilder. And then later this month, we're doing another Storm episode. Uh, with uh, We're going to be covering Storm's origin in Uncanny Origins, which is a Storm-focused story. Uh, and my guest on that episode is going to be Annie Nascenti, which I'm so, so excited about because she's writing the Storm series that's coming out soon. So uh, stay tuned. We will, uh, we will be uh, excited to share all this with you. Thank you, Steve and Stephanie and Omar, for your time and talents this afternoon. We will see you all back here next time on Grey Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Grey Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Grey Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, 
with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, It's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.